You ever been thirsty? I mean, really, really thirsty. Not like, I'm a little parched, but like, just really thirsty. Thirsty, like you almost get that little metallic taste in the back of your throat. You get that? That's gross. But anyway, you ever get that? I was remembering a time when I was really thirsty. Really thirsty. It was back in high school. I was remembering it was back in senior year of high school. I was on the, uh, I was on the track and field team. No, let's make a correction there. I was on the field team. Let's make another correction there. I was a thrower. I threw shot put, I threw discus, and a little bit of javelin. Whoever that was that said that amen, you're my people. (laughs) And I was remembering that, and, and you know what? I love to lift weights. We all love to lift weights as throwers. It was great. You know what we didn't like to do, what we hated to do, what we just did not want to do, and I still don't like to do? Run. I hate running. But every time that we would have practice, we would have to warm up with a run. And so we would have to go and run, and then we'd come, and it was the worst part of the day, and we'd have to run. But you know what? I grew up in New York City, so occasionally we didn't have to run on the track. And this was great, because he made us run on the city blocks. Here's why that was great. Because it only took about two or three blocks to get out of sight from the coach at school. So we would run a couple of blocks, jogging, and then we would stop. And we would stroll and hang out and whatever, kind of wait for the appropriate time, circle around, and then we would jog back those last two blocks and get to work. It was wonderful. It was great. It was a whole system we created until the freshmen arrived. Nobody explained to the freshmen what they were supposed to be doing. So the freshmen... They would run, and they would do the whole hanging out and all that kind of stuff. But then when they got to those last two blocks, here's the thing that you had to remember. You have to jog like you just ran a long run. They start sprinting at their greatest speed, like running as fast as they can. And do you know what that did? That got our coach suspicious. And so you know what happened at that point? He sent us off on a run. And then he got into his car. And then he went and followed us. And then we got into a lot of trouble. He sent us home, and then the next day, he tripled our warm-up run. And he gave us a time limit for when it had to be completed. And he said, if you don't get there in time, you're off the team. And he followed us in a car. That was horrible. That was the worst. I'm sure it was only about two miles, two and a half miles for any of you people who actually run. But we're throwers. We don't do this stuff. By the time we got back, we were so tired. We're so thirsty. We're so thirsty. Like I've never, that's the time where I remember being thirsty the most. And so we went to the water fountain and we drank. And you know who got to drink last, right? The freshman. That's not the biblical response, but that's the response we gave 
But that was horrible. Like, I hated that. Like, that, like, I hate being thirsty. Nobody really likes being thirsty. Nobody ever says, oh, I'm thirsty. This is amazing. No one tastes that, that, that taste when you're thirsty in your mouth and be like, mm, this is wonderful. Just love being thirsty. No, no one likes that. When you're thirsty, you want something to drink. You want to drink some water. You want to satisfy that thirst. Even when you're a kid, it's one of like our primal uh, urges. Like a kid, like a kid will come up to anybody and just like, I'm thirsty and expect you to solve it. Everyone, like, it's just, we want that thirst to be satisfied. Why? Because we're living beings, because we're human. Being thirsty is a part of being human. It's just, that's why we get thirsty. You know who doesn't get thirsty? Robots. Robots don't get thirsty. The mannequins at Coles, they don't get thirsty. But the God of the universe, the almighty God of the universe, in the expression of Jesus, cries out, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 19. We're going to be starting at verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We're finishing up a series on the book of John that we've called Come and See. We're taking a look at who Jesus is. And in that series, what we've done is we've taken a look at some statements that Jesus has made. And we call those statements, traditionally in the church, the I am statements. Jesus makes statements like, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of life. He makes these statements that we call the I am statements. The passage we just read, the statement that Jesus read in that passage is not one of the I am statements that we traditionally know. It's not. But it's one of the most powerful statements that Jesus makes. It's one of the most powerful statements that Jesus makes. What's so powerful about this statement? Well, there's different layers that we need to look at when it comes to this statement. There's different filters that we need to look at when we look at this statement of I am thirsty. I am thirsty. And so we're going to look at it through three filters. We're going to look at it through the filter of nature. We're going to look at it through the filter of fulfillment. And we're going to look at it through the filter of purpose. Nature, fulfillment, and purpose. What you need to understand is that John is very deliberate. He's very deliberate in his gospel to explain the nature of Jesus. For John, it's very important that those who read his gospel understand the nature of Jesus. If we were to examine the I am statements that Jesus makes, when he makes these statements of I am the resurrection, if we look at those statements, we see these proclamations of Jesus' divine nature. There's a divine nature being made in those statements. And it's important for John that his readers, that the people understand, it's important for John that they understand that Jesus is fully God. In fact, when he begins the gospel in John chapter 1, he sets that tone. And he begins the gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's very important for them, 
to understand that Jesus is fully God. But even as important as that, John thinks that it's very important that they also understand that he's fully man. That Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. John makes this radical statement right after in John chapter 1, verse 14. So in John 1, verse 14, he makes another statement. He says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For John, it is important, it is very important that his readers understand the dual nature of Jesus. Yes, he is fully God, but he is also fully man. And if we read 1 John, when we read the letters of John a few months back, if we were here at Calvary, we read through the letters of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And when John wrote those letters, he was writing against a group of people that were denying that humanity of Jesus. And it was very important that they understood the humanity of Jesus. And so there was this, these thoughts that would go around. There was these, these beliefs that would go around where people would think uh, that Jesus was more like some kind of like spirit, like some kind of ghost, or, or, or that he was someone who could flip a switch on and off. And so sometimes he would be human, and sometimes he would be a God-like figure. And, and the problem with that is when they did that, they were diminishing the physical impact of the crucifixion. They were trying to diminish the power of the crucifixion by doing that. And John is saying that you need to understand that, yes, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man and that it happens together in this dual nature. It's really important for John that you understand that. And so he writes in his account of the crucifixion, he writes deliberately, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. John doesn't just kind of think like, is it that he said? Let me, oh, that's what I remember that one. Let me write. He writes things down with deliberate nature. And one of the reasons he writes this down is that it's important for John that people understand the humanity of Jesus. Why did Jesus say, I am thirsty? I mean, don't forget the story that I just talked about with the, the running in the track and field thing. Thirst is it's a human characteristic, it's, it's a part of our human nature. Again, robots don't get thirsty. The mannequins at Coles don't get thirsty. But the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the almighty God, in the expression of Jesus, fully God and fully man, cries out, I am thirsty. Why? Because he was thirsty. Because he was thirsty. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never lied while he lived on earth. He certainly didn't start on the cross. If Jesus said that he was thirsty, he was thirsty. He was thirsty. Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. And it is important for us to understand that because the only way humanity could be provided salvation was, what if, was if God took on human flesh and took the penalty for humanity's rebellion. That was the only way. God had to take on human flesh and he had to take on humanity's rebellion on himself. He had to be fully man in order for this to satisfy the cost. So John goes out of his way to write down this specific statement to proclaim the human nature of Jesus. But I also said that there were different layers here. I said there was two other layers to this statement. Yes, the first layer is the nature of Jesus. What does this I am thirsty tell us about Jesus? It tells us of his human nature. It tells us of his humanity. But there's two, other, there's two other filters that we need to look at. There's two other filters to this statement. 
How do I know that? How do I know that there's two other filters? Because we read it. It's right here. It says, it, it says so in verse 28. When we look at the Bible and when we study the Bible, pay attention to some of the little things that are being said there. Pay attention to the way things are introduced. Pay attention to how transitions happen. As we look at that, we'll begin to understand what is happening in the text. Look at what happens here in verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said. Did you see that? There's two reasons right in verse 28 of why he says, I am thirsty. There's two reasons. It's right there. It's right in the verse. When we want to study it, let's look and see what the Bible says. There's two reasons given deliberately for this statement of, I am thirsty. Yes, the first one that we looked at, as we just looked at, the, uh, at John's writing and the themes of it, we saw that it was the nature of Jesus. We want to see the human nature of Jesus. But the second thing we need to understand, the second thing we need to understand is that we need to understand that this statement is also a declaration of the fulfillment of Jesus. The fulfillment of Jesus. When Jesus makes this statement, he is fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. We know that because of what it says in verse 28. We know that as we look back into the Old Testament and read the Bible. We know that when we look into the book of Psalms. He's specifically fulfilling the prophecies in the book of Psalms. Let's take a look at Psalm 22, verse 15. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. This is traditionally known as a messianic psalm, a psalm that's pointing to the Messiah, pointing to the Savior, the people that Israel was long, the person that uh, Israel was longing for, the person who is Jesus. This was written years and years and years and years before Jesus. And then if we look at Psalm 69, verse 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Again, Referring to the Messiah, Messianic Psalm. Both of these Psalms, when Jesus says, I am thirsty, Jesus fulfills the condition that's described in Psalm 22. And the response when they give him a drink is fulfilled in Psalm of, the condition of what is described in Psalm 69. Jesus is fulfilling prophecies. and his life fulfills prophecies, he fulfills prophecies on the cross in his death. He fulfills prophecies all over the place. He fulfills multiple prophecies. Let me give you some examples. Today, traditionally in church history, traditionally around the world, where churches would be known as Palm Sunday. And usually what you would hear, and we've done this in, in the past, most of the years uh, leading up to uh, this year, what we would do is we study a passage where Jesus rides into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And as he does that, and people are going nuts, it's like a, uh, like a, a parade, a ticker tape parade, people are going nuts and they're shouting Hosanna and they're, they're saying all of these things. As he's doing that, what is Jesus doing? He's fulfilling prophecies, prophecies from the Old Testament. There's prophecies that are fulfilled when the soldiers divide up Jesus' clothes and they cast lots to see who can own them. There's prophecies that are fulfilled when none of Jesus' bones are broken. There's prophecies that are fulfilled when Jesus is buried in a borrowed tomb. There's prophecies that are fulfilled in the resurrection. There's prophecies that are fulfilled over and over and over in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason that that is important, the reason that that is important is that when Jesus fulfills 
those prophecies, he is also declaring that he is the fulfillment of the promise. When he fulfills the prophecies, he declares that he is the fulfillment of the promise. If you've been here at Calvary Church, we've explained that we believe that the Bible is not simply made up of disconnected events or stories. It's one story. It's God's story. It's the story. And there's different ways that you can divide up the story, but what we've done here at Calvary is we've divided it up into six acts. Six acts of the story. Jesus' life happens in Act 4, where God appears. Prior to Jesus' life, we have the Old Testament. And what we have is Act 3. And the majority of the Old Testament is Act 3. And what happens in the Old Testament? God makes a promise. He promises. He promises to send a Savior. He promises to provide a solution to our rebellion, to our sin. He promises to make a way for us to come to Him. And one of the ways that he expresses this promise is through the prophecies of the prophets, through the prophecies in the Old Testament. So when Jesus fulfills these prophecies on the cross, he declares he is also the fulfillment of the promise of God. It's a powerful statement. It is a powerful statement, this statement of I am thirsty. This statement of I am thirsty, again, as we review, It declares the nature of Jesus. It declares his humanity. Why does he say, I'm thirsty? Because he was thirsty. It also declares the fulfillment of Jesus. It declares that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy and the fulfillment of God's promise. And then there's one final reason that Jesus made this, one final filter. It declares Jesus' purpose. Again, how do we know that? In case you didn't realize, I'm going to go back to here, and we're going to open it up. We know it because it's in the Bible. We read it. Verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished. Well, what was finished? What was finished? His purpose, his mission. Why he was sent here to earth. Jesus had to live in order that he could die in order that you could live. Jesus had to live in order that he could die so that you could live. When Jesus cries out, I am thirsty, he is crying out the ending of his purpose here. He is crying out the completion of his mission. He declares his purpose. That statement of I am thirsty is so powerful. So powerful. But it's not the first time that we actually read in the book of John of Jesus asking for a drink. It's actually not the first time we read of John, in the book of John of Jesus asking for a drink. If we were to go back to John chapter 4, we would find Jesus, after walking and doing different ministry, sitting down next to a well. And along comes a Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank for it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. What's going on with all this water stuff? What's going, on with, what's going on with all that water stuff? Well, I think the first thing that we need to understand in this story is that the one who is actually thirsty in this story is the Samaritan woman, not Jesus. The one who is actually thirsty in this story is this woman who comes to the well. She's not physically thirsty, she's spiritually thirsty. And what we read in the story, if you were to continue to read that, we see that her life is expressed, that she continues to try to satisfy that thirst in all of the wrong ways. She continues to look to satisfy that thirst in the wrong places. And Jesus is saying, I am the source of living water. I am what will satisfy your thirst. And the truth of the matter is, is that when we look to satisfy our spiritual thirst with anything or anyone other than Jesus, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. In fact, we're just going to get more thirsty. You know that statement, uh, if you're a mountain person or a beach person? I'm a mountain person. My wife is a beach person. We should have asked that question while we were dating. She loves the beach. She loves the beach, but I love the mountain. And unfortunately for her, most of our vacations have not been to the beach. But a couple of years ago, someone uh, lent us their home in Ocean City, New Jersey, and she was thrilled. And she had a great time, and we had, I had a great time too. And, and the kids had a great time. We had a wonderful time there. It was wonderful down there in Ocean City. But you know what was not wonderful? Carrying a cooler to that spot on the sand. Because everybody else seems to have their hands full with towels or sand. I mean, they're all teenagers into young adults, and they still have their sand toys. And they can't carry the cooler, and that cooler is heavy. But why do you need to bring that cooler to your spot? Because you're going to get thirsty. If you're sitting next to the ocean, and you're sitting there in the hot sand, you're going to get thirsty. You're going to need to get some water. You're going to need to drink some water. But there's a bunch of water right in front of you. Why can't I just take a cup, walk over to the ocean, dip the cup into the water, and drink it? First of all, that's gross. That's absolutely disgusting. Don't do that, especially not in New Jersey. But not only that, if I were to go and take a cup and I was to dip it into the ocean and I was to drink that salt water, hoping that it would satisfy my thirst, do you know what the result would be? 
I would be more thirsty. I would get thirstier. And if I continue to drink that salt water, you know what would happen? I would get sick. And if I kept drinking it, do you know what would ultimately happen? I would die. I can't satisfy my thirst by taking a cup and going to the ocean and drinking that salt water. And yet we do exactly that when we try to satisfy our spiritual thirst. We keep going to a source that is going to make us even more thirsty. We go to a source that is going to make us sick. We go to a source that could ultimately lead to our death and destruction. Over and over, we try to satisfy our spiritual thirst by going to the wrong source. If I'm going to a source of a relationship, or if I'm going to a source of a certain job status, or if I'm going to a source of some sort of change in my life that I want to control, if I'm going to any of these things to satisfy that spiritual thirst, I will just get more thirsty. If I'm going to anything but Jesus Christ to satisfy that spiritual thirst, it will fail. It will fail. You know what you need to satisfy your thirst? Living water. Living water. Jesus declares that he is the source of living water. And I love, I love how the woman responds. And not just the woman, I love how, how the people that she goes and tells about Jesus respond. You know how they respond? They believe. They believe. I love this verse in verse 42 of John 4. The woman is like, she's flabbergasted. She goes and tells a whole bunch of people. And, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. These Samaritans get it. They get it. Almost. Almost. They almost get it. They say the right words. They have the right title. But they can't fully grasp the immensity of what they believed, not until the cross. Not until the cross. Not until Jesus receives a drink and cries out with a loud voice, It is finished. Because it was finished. It was finished. Jesus was born to live in order that he might die so that you might live. The one who was the source of living water had to get to the point where he had to shout out on a cross, I am thirsty. The one who would take away our sufferings had to become the man of suffering. The one who would ultimately provide us life had to die. Jesus had to become the substitute. The substitute. And in return, Jesus offers us a new status and new life. And that is the beauty and power of the gospel. That is the beauty and power of I am thirsty. In this statement of I am thirsty, Jesus declares his nature, his nature of being fully God, but also fully human. He declares his nature of humanity. Jesus declares his fulfillment, his fulfillment of prophecy, and his fulfillment of being the promise of God. And he declares his purpose and his mission 
and the completion of that purpose and mission. So what do we do with that? What's our take-home assignment for that? Sometimes, sometimes, there is no assignment. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the beauty and power of the cross. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the beauty and power of the gospel. Sometimes we need to eliminate the distractions of our lives, the disappointments, the hurts, whatever it is, and just gaze at the cross and let its transformative power impact our lives. And so I hope, I hope that today you get to do just that. I hope that today you get to gaze on the cross, and not just at the cross, but at our loving Savior who went to that cross willingly, who cried out, I am thirsty. I hope that today you get to be reminded of the power and beauty of the gospel. And then you know what else I hope? I hope you go out and invite someone to come next week so that they can hear of the beauty and power of the gospel. That's what we need to do. Proclaim the gospel to everyone and anyone because we have people around us who desperately need it. And if we don't tell them, they're not going to hear. So go. This week can be filled with a reminder of that power of the cross and let it fuel everything you do today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for reminders of your love. We thank you for reminders of your goodness. We thank you for the power and beauty of the cross. You took on our suffering. You took on our pain and you took on our sin so that we wouldn't have to. And God, I'm so sorry for the times that I just forget how powerful that is and I get distracted by my own agendas or my own busyness or whatever it is and I lose focus of the cross. So I ask for forgiveness for those times, but Lord, I ask you that you would just make the passion of the gospel just overflow in us to a point of just explosion, that we will just go out and proclaim it boldly to those around us. And that you would begin to make hearts around us ready to hear that good news. We thank you and we love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.